faster than a struggling turtle. More powerful than Gary Rosen. Oh, I can't believe that. Able to leap tall juggalos in a single bound. <laughs> Look, down on the ground. It's a germ. It's a worm. It's 508. Bursting from the subterranean depths of Wormtown like the mighty Shy Halud. It's 508. A show about Worcester. Happy Good Friday. It's April the 19th, 2018. This is 508, a show about Worcester. I am Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Malikin. How's it going, Mike? Hi, Brendan. Brendan, as usual, the world conspires to make the discourse stupid and trashy and pessimistic, but I am having none of it. The <laughs> well, man, thank you for that. The man wants us to talk about stupid stuff in stupid ways. The man wants to feel us to feel like we're basically powerful. The man wants us to feel like the only, the closest thing we can come to asserting power is to humiliate our enemies. Yeah. But I'm not buying it. Not into that. Linda Berry, the great cartoonist, once wrote, Freak the man freely, do the macarini, and I say freak the man freely. That's what we're doing on today's show. Sounds good, Mike. It's a plan. But uh, we're going to start off with something which may end up becoming a negative, stupid topic. <laughs> but we'll try, we'll try our best not to. I promise I did not wait until Good Friday to cover this. Um, the big news on the Diocese of Worcester is that Auxiliary Bishop George Rieger died two weeks ago. Every Catholic I've talked to since... Uh, has had nothing to, but good things to say about him. Yeah, likewise, on a personal level. I have nothing but good things to say about Bishop Berger. In 2002, he was accused of sexual abuse, and I'll read the summary from bishopaccountability.org. Uh, Bishop George Rieger accused in 2002 lawsuit of 1960s sexual abuse of boy aged 13 to 14. Denied allegation, not charged. Alleged victim withdrew suit in 2003. Retired age 75 in 2005. Worcester, Massachusetts Auxiliary Bishop Emeritus. Uh, the man who accused him and then withdrew the accusation died in 2006. So on the one hand, you have you know 60 years of service as a priest. On the other hand, you have a very messy accusation that was put yeah. forward and then withdrawn and then the guy died and I don't know. Uh, you know, sometimes um, when you have somebody who's been abusive and they die, that's what triggers sort of a wave of uh, victims coming forward with their stories. Mm -hmm. And since it's been two weeks since Bishop Rieger died and we haven't seen that wave, I feel more confident than it would have been two weeks ago that, uh, you know, that something like that's not going to happen, that this isn't one of those kinds of issues. Um I don't know. Like I said, messy topic. Always a messy topic. Alleged, alleged allegations of whatever. I'm going to keep my mouth shut on this one because I think I feel like things go off the rails anytime uh, we we start going down the road. Yeah, I mean, again, like <laughs> I, you know, like that. I mean, this is the thing, right? Is that like at least at this point, like I can say, I feel like there's, I feel like. I can talk about the accusation and then the 60 years of whatever just fade away into the background. Well, so this is the, I, let me, I, this is what I will say. Like, it, when we have talked about this in the past, right, I get pretty amped up whenever we're talking about uh, sexual abuse in the church. But I've always tried to qualify that by making sure it doesn't sound like I've just got, like, an axe to grind with yes. the church. And, like, Bishop Rieger is one of those individuals who I would would have considered a friend, right, or, or would consider a friend. And how do you re, how do you refer to somebody— after they've passed away, was a friend. You were in right? friendly terms with. Yeah, totally. And I mean, and there's there's not a ton of priests uh, in the city of Worcester who I would I could say that, but they're there. And yeah, and Bishop Brigger was one of them. I mean, he was after he had retired, right? I mean, he he still uh, made sure that he he had a seat on the altar when my father passed away at his funeral and whatnot. Like he was a he was a pretty close family friend. I don't mean to take anything away from the person who had made an accusation at one point in time 
against him. Obviously, tragic that person has also passed. So that story uh, seems to be a, a moot point. But yeah, I guess that's if, if there's anything that I have to throw in into that ring, it's just to be clear that yeah, it's when we were talking about this, it's not an axe to grind sort of thing. Some Definitely of these folks not. are actually really good friends. Definitely not. I mean, honestly, from my point, I feel like it's like trying to be scrupulous about things. That feeling like I'm part of an organization that has done its best for decades to not talk about this yeah. stuff to maybe err in the other direction, at least for a few few years. Um, so I'll mention too that um, Bishop Rieger was involved in the effort to move known abusive priest Thomas Texar from mm-hmm. Worcester to Texas. Um, involved in that, I, he's mentioned in, the, in some lawsuit against that guy, that priest, as having written a letter. Right. Um, many letters were written around this priest. So this is also the kind of thing where anybody who was involved in administration of the Catholic Church in the 70s and the 80s, good chance that they were knee-deep in some kind of mess like this. So yeah. again, not nece- which is not to say that that is a good thing or justifiable, but it's, I think it's maybe just to say that it's not necessarily um, a sign of personal failure that plenty of good people uh, – participated in what ended up being a, a bad situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. There we go, Brendan. We got to we that, that one, one without a train table. wreck. I was not wow. a train wreck, not at all. You know, speaking of trains, Brendan, Trav- Cyrus Moulton at the Telegram and Gazette have just done what we have only dreamed of. What is that? Which is that he has talked with Holden Mann, Dennis Lipka. I did see this story. The he new, actually got him on a bus, too. The new WRTA This guy's riding head. a bus all around Worcester. It's a um, Holden guy riding a bus around the city of Worcester. Yeah, and he has a list He has a list of what Mr. Lipka wants to do. Uh, he, he said his main, the, main, the main priority is to increase ridership, which makes sense. I'm not sure what the plan is, mm-hmm. other than moving some schedules and routes a little bit around a little bit. He says there is no silver bullet, which, of course, brings him close to my heart. I love saying there's no silver bullet. Um, he also wants to try running 16 passenger vans instead of full buses along some routes, mm-hmm. which makes sense. There's many, many a time where I have ridden miles on the on a bus where I was the only person on the bus in Worcester, so that doesn't seem like um, a good idea overall. Yeah. Uh, he wants to work with social service agencies on dealing with vagrants at the transit hub, and he plans to be replaced by a new long-term WRTA head within the next 18 months. Hmm. So if we're going to talk to Holden Man Dennis Lipka, we might want to do it soon. Maybe we could interview him on a bus. We, it wouldn't be our first have, first bus show, Mike. We haven't done a show about the bus in a while. Or on a bus in a while. Yeah, that's right. Um, the Central Massachusetts Regional Planning Commission is doing their quadrennial update of the Mobility 2040 Regional Long-Range Transportation Plan. And I've been looking at the last update that they did back in 2016, and I would say that um, it's just a bunch of stuff about, like, we should build some roads and fix some roads and... Nothing, uh, nothing uh, shocking. But I do appreciate—I don't know—I do appreciate knowing that somebody is, somebody is trying to think about the region as a region. Um, related, but only yes. slightly. I know we've talked in the past. I think it was last fall we were talking a bit about. Um, actually, it was last summer about Lyft uh, yes. and how they are somehow like making their way into the the public transportation sphere, and Massachusetts is one of those right. areas. At least they're they're. Uh, they seem to be involved uh, on some level. I noticed over the last couple of weeks, maybe a month or so, um, Lyft is, is rolling out uh, passes that you can buy from them. So, like, you, you can either, you're basically prepaying uh, discounted rates for uh, transit, which 
Is this a deal where you pay a monthly fee and you get a 10% discount? Uh, this is different. I think this is a slightly different one. It's okay. I think it's 10 rides like Oh, like, this is different than I'm thinking. Okay. But it's it, it's basically shaving the the the, the price off of uh, whatever. It is a discount in some form, but it, it's a package sort of deal. It just struck me as interesting not because it's related directly to uh, mass transit, but the 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 savings and the way it was bundled seemed to be very similar to like a Charlie card or uh, you know one of the 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 passes that you would buy in advance. Yeah. I guess you'd buy the same thing here in the WRTA. Um, but yeah, similar model. It, it almost seems like their their pricing structure. They're trying to aggressively move towards a model that is very similar to what people already use for public transportation. I wouldn't be shocked to see that those two things somehow intersect uh, in the near future. It'll be interesting to see. Um, you know. Uh you know, we we do sometimes talk on here about how the WRTA has a weird cost structure in that they lose something like five dollars every time yeah. you ride the bus. Um, you know, it's interesting just note, noting that I, Lyft and I think Uber both are currently running in the red about a billion dollars a yeah. year. Now they're in an aggressive growth place and blah 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 blah. But um, to me, that does maybe add a little bit of a sober note to our dreams that Lyft will one day replace the bus or some chunk of the bus is in that like, well, the WRTA has trouble with funding. Lyft very intentionally has trouble with funding. Is that yep. necessarily a sustainable long-term alternative? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I so I um, I just had to use Lyft uh, yesterday. Yes. Uh, I had a, a interesting experience. Mike, did you know, uh, you're not much of a driver, so maybe you I don't take, know this. I take, I'm a heavy Lyft user. You're a heavy Lyft user. So uh, on, what did you say, Friday on Wednesday, I had an interesting experience where I was driving my Jeep uh, down Gold, uh, Grove Street, making a right-hand turn onto Lancaster Street uh, over by the old Northworks building. Sure. And uh, when I started making that right-hand turn, uh, my left driver, my left front wheel decided to make a left-hand turn. Whoa. I just no longer dis- wanted to be attached to the Jeep, which was a really neat thing. I've never had that happen before. Uh, thankfully, I was no longer on the highway. Wait, did the wheel fall off the Jeep? Yeah, and just went bouncing down the road. It was actually a really great experience because Whoa. I didn't die. That was great. Uh, when the wheel came off and started bouncing down Grove Street, there was an old guy on the side of the road who was just going, Whoa! <laughs> every time the wheel bounced. So that was awesome. Like, it was very Appreciative audience. That's and then from good. there on, there was like a dozen or so people who either stopped to see if I needed help, which was great. Uh, there was one guy who uh, very slowly drove by and politely yelled out, excuse me, sir, but I think you're missing a wheel. He was kind of a jerk, but it was funny, so I gave you him know, a thumbs up. I, it, it, you deserve that. And you, old, you were missing a wheel. I was totally missing a wheel. There was an old woman who came by and, you know, in, a, in the deepest Worcester accent uh, imaginable, said, hey, at least it ain't raining. Uh, yeah, so that was fantastic. I did work on my tan a little bit. But point being, so I didn't have a car for two days and uh, had to rely upon Lyft. One, it's gotten more expensive. Okay. Uh, and, you know, so I, I was using it midday, uh, you know, the first question I, after seeing what the price was, first question I asked both drivers, been busy today? Oh, you're the first one. Um, seems like it's gotten pricier, uh, even in when you compare it against uh, public transportation, uh, the number is kind of absurd, right? Okay. Like, the only reason I didn't use public transportation is because buses are like once an hour now, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, had places to be. <laughs> it, it works was too it long works, to walk. It works great if the schedule works with your schedule. And if the schedule doesn't work with your schedule, you're doomed. You're doomed. Yeah. So, anyways, that was my my lift story. It's got a little bit pricier. I have no idea as well how that uh, that business model is going to work. And folks, if you're driving your own vehicle, check your lug nuts. Brendan, we got some environmentalism news this week. Um, this is a report from NPR called "Our Plastic Bag Bans Garbage." Mm. I was just asking you if plastic bags were garbage. This is our plastic bag bans garbage you know this is something we've talked about doing in the city of worcester mm-hmm. i think the city of shrewsbury has already done this we're doing it statewide now oh we're doing it statewide well the, the state is moving 
because you've got d- these disparate uh, local ordinances and whatnot, yes. enough of them have moved forward where on the state level it seems like it's going to be easier to have it have it happen there. There was something happening in the last couple of weeks uh, regarding just that. Well, um, I will remind listeners before I get into this that Scott Schaefer, Duffy, and I are the great pioneers of reusable shopping bags in the city of Worcester. Mm-hmm. I will put my track record up on that up against any of 10 other sure. people in the city of Worcester so that just know people that no matter how much you hate plastic bags, I hate them a lot more than you. Mm-hmm. That said, this NPR article and the reports that it refers to kind of make me think that plastic bag bans are garbage. Everybody who NPR talked to thought plastic bag bans were garbage. We have a paper here from Rebecca Taylor on the effect of disposable carryout bag regulations on unregulated bags. She's looking at the California 2016 bag ban. Sure. This is another one of these things where there's a lot of moving pieces, so it's interesting to see what actually happens. Uh, the 2016 bag ban led to 40 million pounds less of plastic carryout bags being used. But then people bought 12 million more pounds of trash bags. So that's 28 million pounds less plastic being used. Yeah. But then there's 80 million more, more of paper bags being used. I have tons written down here. I think it's pounds. Yeah. 80 million more pounds of paper bags are being are, are then used and in some ways yeah, paper bags are more paper bags yeah yes in, in some ways they're they're worse than uh the plastic bags sure i don't think it's 80 million more bags i think it's 80 million more pounds of bags oh um anyway uh so it's like very questionable like uh yeah, it seems like a real toss-up. She thinks that the way to go is fee is fees fees is to say the bag is going to cost you a certain number of cents, and that gives you an incentive to not use them, but it still gives you the option to use them. Yeah, especially because again, like a lot of people reuse them as a trash bag or whatever. If you're one of those guys, you might or whatever. It's just inconvenient. You're like, okay, I won't take a paper bag, which is probably more sure. destructive. And sure, I'll pay a couple of cents for this because whatever, I'm going to use it as a trash bag. I'm okay to, to pay that inconvenience fee now. But it's enough to incent you to say, you know what, I should probably have a real bag. That's the part that I can never really figure out, right? Because I agree completely about the fee side of things, only because it seems like shopping habits, as, at least if we're talking supermarkets, right? Yes. Like, we'll stick there for a second. I think most people tend to be pretty structured in the way they, like, they go shopping, right? Like, it's not like an impulse buy it or run to the supermarket, right? Like, at least mm-hmm. not, maybe I'm thinking about it from a family perspective. That it's, it's, usually, like, it's usually a plan. Exactly. So like in our case, like all the reusable shopping bags live in the trunk of the car, right? And mm-hmm. there's a couple extras at home, but for the most part, they're just there. It's, the, you know, so you don't have to think about it. That's where the, re, right. the, the, the reusable bags are, are there and, you know, you don't. Right. But if you are just making an impulse buy, yeah, that's like where you, you would think that having some sort of fee attached to it would, would make sense on some level, whether it be a fee to cover the costs of uh, fishing them out of the fishing plastic bags out of the whatever. river or something. Yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we should probably do the same thing with straws, too, right? Because, I mean, I love ducks, but sometimes you just want a straw with your drink and uh, we don't need to ban them. We'll just have a love we'll a straw fee. You know, um, the NPR also cites this 2011 report from the UK Environmental Agency. This is a government agency in the United Kingdom. They're looking at a tw- 2006 statistics on different kinds of carrier bags in the UK. And uh, they're measuring the global warming impacts specifically from the different kinds of bags. And based on their data, uh, you know, reusable bags look pretty good. So here's like a little chart here. This is stuff at the top. This is basically how many times you have to use a different kind of a reusable bag or another kind of bag in order to match, in order to mitigate 
the uh, global warming damage caused right. by this plastic bag. So, for example, if you're carrying a paper bag, a paper bag is three times as global warming impactful as the plastic bag. Um, the no- the normal sort of uh, carrier bags that you get from the uh, store, the kind that you pay a buck for or whatever, mm-hmm. actually are only four times as uh, damaging, I believe, as a super flimsy disposable bag. So you use that bag four times, and then from then on out, you're just like, I'm saving the planet every time I use my bag that I bought for a buck. Your cotton bag is 130 times as impactful on the earth as that plastic bag. So you got to be going to the grocery store a lot of times with your tote bag in yep. order to be like, I'm glad I used cotton rather than flimsy plastic. Can I make a probably an unpopular statement too? Do it. Um, I hate tote bags. Okay. I, I was just saying this to somebody the other day. I feel like anytime there's a photograph, and it usually involves people who I, I care deeply about, like a photograph of a bunch of activists in a room, I feel like everybody in front of every activist, there's always a tote bag. <laughs> There's nothing that angers me more irrationally, uh, it, totally irrational, I get that, than the, those tote bags are the most, you carry them every once in a while, they're so impractical. Uh, it's like when I see an older woman carrying a purse on their forearm, it's like your forearm, your arms are not designed to hold a purse like this, but it's like that's how, you know, people, it's not a normal, backpack, briefcase, shoulder bag, Sure. I mean, fanny I, packs are making a comeback, we got all sorts of bags, tote bags, it's not the right move. It's I'll a say, terrible I'll, look. I'll tell you my tote bag strategy. As some, somebody who's a big pedestrian who always shops on foot, like I have a giant tote bag, collapsible tote bag that mm-hmm. I'll stick in my backpack. So when I go to the store, if I'm buying a lot of stuff, backpack is the first place I'm going to put the stuff. And sure. the second place is I'm going to balloon this thing bag. out. So now I have many gallons more. Yep. Um, in part because if it had backpack straps and all that nonsense, it would be larger and would be less convenient to carry. But also in part because I've already got the backpack on. Yeah. So you can carry a backpack and a shoulder bag together, and that works okay. Two backpacks is kind of a mess. Yeah. So that's why that that's those are the times that I use that that I use that tote bag. I get I've gotten a lot of use out of that tote bag. I'm encouraged to see that even a even a fairly uh, high impact. Um, non-cotton tote bag is still only like a, a dozen or two dozen times yeah. more impactful than a well, flimsy bag. Ones I feel like I see everywhere. Oh, the cotton ones. Well, the cotton ones are a nightmare. And we can especially look at this <laughs> Danish Environmental Protection Agency report from 2018, which looks at a bunch of different bags and a bunch of environmental indicators. We lost nearly all of I our know. viewers. I know. Nobody wants to hear bags. this. Nobody wants to hear it's it. It's the truth, folks. Your tote bags, they're terrible. You know, I'm just saying the truth here, which is that if you reuse, if you're, they assume that you're reusing your disposable bag as a trash bag. So you're sort of cutting the impact of that bag oh. in half by this report. If this is true, then an organic cotton tote bag has, by their study, 149 times more climate change impact. Uh, so within a year or two of using that cotton tote bag, yeah. you will have, you will now be. Uh, it will now have been a good investment climate change wise to have bought that cotton tote bag. But if you Add up the full list of impacts, things like terrestrial acidification and abiotic resource depletion. The cotton bag has 20,000 times yeah. the impact so as the plastic bag. Here's, this is hilarious. Here's this another question crazy. I have for you, yeah. then. And you, I don't expect you to have the answer to this. It's certainly not going to be that report. But are we actually approaching the point now where making a shop local argument is actually the the most harmful thing we can be doing for the environment. Oh, so you like, mean versus getting getting stuff shipped to you by Amazon or does whatever? Does it not? I mean, and I'm only bringing this up like, and again, like I'm a, I own a local business, right? I get right. it. Like, right. I'm not actually making this argument truthfully, I guess, but in some capacity, if 
we're we're at the point where retail is taking uh, retail as we know it. The mass market retailers, uh, brick and mortars, are having a terrible decade. Uh, it only seems to be getting worse, um, and more and more purchases are being made uh, online via shippers like Amazon and whatnot. Yeah. If if all that shipping is taking place anyways, doesn't that become the less impactful? Uh, approach environmentally then say on a local level having all of these goods shipped to your neighborhood where we don't even know if, if someone's actually going to be picking them up right like well although amazon prime is probably air air mailing me paper clips or whatever i'm organizing ordering from them that's pretty impactful i mean th- this but, is but there's I, I, no plastic bag involved there's, <laughs> there's those no. pla- there's those there's those plastic those inflatable, uh, things. inflatable oh. things see this is the thing yeah, is that right. there there is a point in this discussion where you have to say well now we've learned something about plastic bags but ultimately when i go to the grocery store um, the amount of plastic in that plastic bag is probably in the minority of the amount of plastic that is coming into my life. Like yeah. the, amount, the amount of plastic packaging on stuff. Am I worrying about how much plastic is on the chicken I'm buying or the tofu I'm buying or whatever? Yeah, right. Not, I'm not really not sweating that. And there's potentially more plastic one way or the other in those kinds of things. Yep. And uh, in fact, in my life overall, like, uh, you know, is taking one more trip to the Bahamas, how does that compare to uh, <laughs> using a cotton bag versus a plastic bag? Yeah. And the answer is that it's millions of times more impactful than any of that kind of nonsense. This, I guess, and I, I'm obviously being facetious when talking about, you know, just buying everything online, the more environmental approach. But like, I, I think it lends itself, what you're describing lends itself to a much bigger and very necessary conversation that is... Um, not at all so yeah i mean we're really having a consumerism conversation right and and the need to change things right so it's very similar to what we've been talking about for the last month or so or a few months with recycling right like which is that which is that the solution to what what should the bag be made of is there should be no bag because you should not be buying that much stuff and and i as a you know lifelong consumer right i I understand the hypocrisy here but that that is the conversation that needs to be taking place if we're talking about recycling the right way to recycle is kind of irrelevant if all it means is you're bundling up your garbage and sending it to a develop na- developing nations so that they can sort through it by hand and then s- dump the majority of it in the ocean right, right and right since the 70s you know that's what people have been doing when they talk about recycling regardless of the impact you thought you made regardless of of, of how good it made you feel all of your garbage is now floating in the middle of the pacific ocean you did nothing with it and we're kind of talking about the same thing here when, when 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 it comes to bags right straws whatever it might make us feel good for a brief moment in time to not see those plastic bags stuck in the tree uh or the straws you know i don't know a, a, a duck made, wearing a, a hat made out of drinking straws yeah but the reality is the impact is negligible can when you uh layer it against the reality that we just have too much crap too much stuff there's too much stuff mike there and well, i love stuff so yeah. i mean like hey yeah. I, I don't i'm not claiming to have a solution on that front but some of this maybe that's i guess where npr in their their, their sort of snarky headline is is spot on uh that yeah the, the band it kind of is garbage because the the impact it's going to make the little dent I, and again, I speak as someone who has spent hundreds of hours of my life working on this, and I still think that this is an interesting – that these are all interesting because they are so – such miniaturized versions of the bigger questions yeah. that it kind of feels like if you could crack the drinking straw issue or you could crack the plastic bag issue, if you could find the silver bullet – then maybe you could apply those lessons to the larger and more impactful things. Mm-hmm. But that – yeah, that there is a uh, – 
We it, like the nice thing is we at least don't need to worry about it. Really, we can learn from it. <laughs> we can our curiosity we can bring to it, but we don't need to worry about it because it is irrelevant in the amount of devastation that we're causing. That's what totally. we need, which yeah. is what we need to worry about. Speaking of which, here's an interesting short blog post from the blog Qualia Computing which is a blog which says it is about revealing the computational properties of consciousness. And I appreciated this. This feel, felt like it resonated with certain things we've talked about. This article is called Investing Time and Resources in Happiness. I like it because it goes back to first principles or it looks at edge cases or it just tries to reframe certain problems in life and then answer them. And then I think it's very thought-provoking to do so. So as a function of time and resources, what is the optional way to reduce suffering and maximize happiness? You have one minute and no money. Try to calm down and distract yourself with music. You have one hour and one dollar. Ignore the dollar, just make a playlist of songs you really enjoyed in your life and play it as you dance. You have one day and fifty dollars. Go get yourself some hard drugs. You have three months and one thousand dollars. Get some gym equipment, establish a workout routine, hang out with friends as much as possible, get laid, go to see the movies, go to a beach. So I can stop there in case you have any comments on these first four, four no, ideas. Like personal, per- perfectly reasonable uses of time. Uh, I mean, again, and this is talking about, this is making an argument that this is, this is the optimal way to uh, reduce suffering and maximize happiness. This is your, your, your own and others. Mm-hmm. So in the case of the one day and $50, go get yourself some hard drugs. May just be like, use $50 for the hard drugs. Pro- possibly you're sharing some of those with your friends sure. too um, to help with their happiness. You have three years and $30,000, or th- three years and $3,000. Learn about Buddhist meditation, get fit, and then focus on achieving the jhana states, stay in them for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. I assume they're talking about certain, these are certain states of focused consciousness uh, and from, from Buddhism. Um, you have 10 years and $10,000. Investigate charities that minimize suffering or make your own. Fundraise in order to eliminate suffering in people who have cluster headaches by giving them access to tryptamine vape pens. Help spread the, help the spread of painkillers for people dying in hospitals in third world countries, yeah. etc. You have 50 years and $10 million. You found a research institute devoted to it, identifying the biochemical, functional, or behavioral causes of suffering. Identify promising large effect size genetic modification technologies in order to enable sustainable hedonic tone enhancement. You build a company that sells permanent hedonic tone amplification. With the money, you get rid of factory farming and implement a wild animal welfare system. Then you get rid of game theoretical impasses using ultra bliss technology. The end. There it is. That's the solution. Nowhere on there was dosing uh, the entire world population with LSD. This is, I mean, the, the, I, think, I think I think the the one comment the one comment on here is like you didn't mention anything about microdosing mushrooms or anything like this yeah. as far as increasing happiness. Um, these are certainly people who are quite aware of this idea, so I'm sure that they left that out intentionally, intentionally or maybe just to make things more straightforward. Yeah, like maybe there's some combination of hard drugs and uh, going to the beach. That's actually the best way to spend yeah, three months and three thousand a thousand dollars. Nobody just throws hard drugs out there, right? Like, so I mean, there's, there's probably the assumption that you're making that if you're if you're if you got a spare fifty bucks and you're going to go all in on some hard drugs, that mm-hmm. like 
that's not probably probably not going to be your first experience with with drugs, right? Like, so you probably have something else going on in the background on yeah. the softer side of things. I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, I know a lot of people who are, uh, you know, people who are leading a hard life or who have led a hard life and continue to lead a hard life. And uh, I, many of them use hard drugs. Many sure. of them listen to music also. Yeah. And I was <laughs> just thinking, I think about this frequently. Sometimes like, together. Yeah, I think about this frequently. Like, if I was in their situation, would I also be doing this, what they're doing today? Yeah. Like, if somebody said to me, write a choose your own adventure and decide what should this person be doing to minimize their happiness blah 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 maximize their happiness I should say uh, I think I would be saying well you should be getting your whatever figured out you should be getting your social security card figured out and applying for this kind of a benefit and also going to learn about something at some job training thing and blah 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 my whole mm-hmm. Puritan spiel that I would be giving them but um, you know if you're if your uh, time horizon is a day if yeah. if your if your big thing is like i feel like my brain is falling apart i feel like my whole life and my heart is falling apart i want to keep it together for the next 24 hours what do i do the answer is probably beg on the street corner till you get 50 bucks and then get wasted yep. and i see no problem with that whatsoever actually i support that fully because i mean i do the same thing right i mean like in my perfectly yeah. comfortable reality if there's a day that goes today has been an absolutely insane day for me right like mm-hmm. if from me in my perspective on the universe, like up to, we're only at noon, we're approaching two, it's been completely batshit, right? Like it's yeah. crazy. By the end of the day, it's gonna just get to the point where it's like, if it continues this way, like, you know what? I'm gonna worry about most of this tomorrow. Right now, I'm gonna go to a bar, grab a shot of Jameson, and then call it a day. That's yeah. it. And I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, I, I think that the thing that I see wrong with it is that ideally you should be, your time horizon should be more than a day. So that if you were like, my whole life has fallen apart, you know. Well, my whole life how has much, not fallen right, apart. And that's, that's, the, yeah, and right. that's the difference. And so, like, I just, I talk to people who, um, in their more sober moments or their more wasted moments, you know, talk about how they really would like to get sober, how they were happier when they were sober, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's part of the problem, I think, is whenever you're like, this does feel like the most reasonable thing I can do to get through today. But boy, I wish I had an extra 10% that I could start spending an extra 10% of my energy doing something like learning about Buddhist meditation, I guess, or going to the gym or uh, trying to get my benefits package figured out or trying to get a job or trying to do, get my health figured out a little bit. I'm only suggesting that those low bar, uh, you know, low dollar uh, value entry, uh, items there they seem totally even in my completely privileged uh not much to complain about relatively speaking life yeah the, the, those seem completely reasonable you know i i yeah. wish too that i had the time to put aside a couple of years and uh, uh go whole hog and transcendental meditation or maybe unlock the secrets of the universe i don't right now but yeah i can totally get behind uh you know tying one on real quick when, when you've had enough and i've got things pretty good i don't have a lot to complain about yeah yeah I mean, uh, you know. So we're gonna do go do some Jameson shots after this, Mike. Well, you know, Brendan, I want to read. I want to read a little bit of something else, just because I was thinking about the top of the show about how, um, you know, talking about how trying trying to trying to resist trying to resist what the man wants us to do, yeah, which is to hate on each other in unproductive ways. If we're hating on each other in productive ways. You could criticize that, but you could also see how that's useful. But sure. man, I feel like most of the time when we're hating on each other, it's not productive. It's not productive at all. anything. It's just the pettiest satisfaction in the world, and you might as well be spending 50 bucks and doing some hard drugs. Mm-hmm. It's not going to make you any happier tomorrow to be doing that kind of stuff today. The man wants you to do it. But are you insinuating? Because I would agree if you are that you know we, we are living in a pretty bizarre timeline, right? In some all, ways. We always have been. Yeah. It seems like there is a lot more, I think, uh, headbutting 
if you will, like in society today. Like it, it's it, it's weird. Like on the one hand, you you can look at all the numbers and the stats that say there's never been a better time to be alive, and almost like yes. any conceivable metric that I, I think it's true. I think I think like it's true that socially it seems like everything is. Yeah, we we continue to evolve a society which is farther and farther from whatever we're evolutionarily and traditionally mm-hmm. uh, know how to deal with, and it keeps moving faster and faster, and we keep get, st- getting completely confused for long periods of time about what to do to make ourselves happier. I think something I read this week that actually was interesting to me was uh, also talking about how especially younger people who are more used to an internet world Mm -hmm. finding that the uh, public and private spheres their expectations for them maybe are different than uh, people from an older sure. generation, at least for some of those people, and th- so that like you know, like at your house, there's certain things that you can say and not say, and there's a certain level of comfortability and coziness that you expect, yeah. and that if you're on I don't know Facebook, middle of the street. Like maybe there should be a different expectation, but not everybody has that. Some of the people are like, "Come on, we wouldn't say this, this at home with the kids. Why are we saying this?" You know, the one thing that we're missing is people who disagree actually having conversations. Well, with each other, I don't, you know? I don't know if that's helpful, but I think that I feel like I, you know what? I feel like having conversations is fine. I feel like it's this is a thing where it's up to each individual individual, yeah. unlike the bag thing, to look at the other people and say no more. I'm drawing a line in the sand. No more. This is what the Didache says. It has a great. It has a great subtitle, The Lord's Teaching Through the Twelve Apostles to the Nations. Here's the beginning of chapter one. It's short. It's called The Two Ways in the First Commandment. This is great because it's, like it's, like it's like an instruction manual in a way that the Bible never really gets to, except, sure. except for maybe the Ten Commandments. Brendan, there are two ways, one of life and one of death. But what a great difference between the two ways. The way of life, then, is this. First, you shall love God who made you. Second, love your neighbor as yourself, and do not do to another what you would not want done to you. And of these sayings, the teaching is this. Bless those who curse you, and pray for your enemies, and fast for those who persecute you. But what reward is there for loving those who love you? Do not the Gentiles do the same, but love those who hate you, and you shall not have an enemy. Abstain from fleshly and worldly lusts. If someone strikes your right cheek, turn him the other also, and you shall be perfect. If someone impresses you for one mile, go with him in two. It goes on and on, just sort of pulling out some of the hardest sayings in the New Testament and being like, that's the first thing that you should do, Brendan, Mm -hmm. is the hard parts of the New Testament. Then we can talk about the way of death in the next chapter. Um, I just love this man. So we kind of agree then, right? I mean, so I mean, if that's the point, right? Like communicating with those you would disagree with. I don't even right know. Thing. It doesn't say anything about dialogue, respectful dialogue. It just says, "Don't get into it, man." Well, I don't know in today's day, day and age, if, but it's saying you get to love those uh, that that. Honestly, for like, me, for me to have a conversation with someone is not always the most loving thing. No, no, leaving I know, them but alone. It, is but usually. It, but like a nonverbal uh, expressions of of, of, of admiration, uh, I don't think those would fit very well in today's society. Can't just go up to strangers and start emo- hugging them. Heart emoji. Hmm? Heart emojis. Heart emojis. Yeah. Nonverbal <laughs> expression of love. There you go. Happy Good Friday, everybody. Hi, Gabby. Thanks for doing the show this week. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Bye-bye.